seen it being there. Um, but I have faith that it's there. And um, it's just a struggle in trying not to be so negative-minded and putting myself back in a sad position and, and feeling sadness and being sad and, and being doubtful. I mean, it's a, it's a struggle. You're listening to Life During COVID on Making Contact. To stay up to date with our shows and get more information about the people profiled in this week's episode, visit radioproject.org. Now back to Life During COVID on Making Contact. For most parents, balancing children and a career can be stressful. For some, simple everyday issues can become magnified and seemingly insurmountable. For parents like Shanette Jackson, anxieties were heightened while balancing both work and parenthood during the pandemic. I was taking my Zoom call from my phone for this particular meeting because I had to pick up books from my children's school. And so I'm on my call with executive staff and and some other members of my team and I'm thinking that I'm muted. I, well, I muted myself and I told, was telling my children to put their shoes on because we had to run out and go pick up their books. And so my son kept asking me, why? Where are we going? Why do I have to go? Like, just put on your shoes. And I'm just like trying to whisper to him, just put on your shoes so we can go. And he kept repeating while I'm in this meeting and at some point during this call as I was moving around, I unmuted myself. And I did not know. And so he asked me one more time and I said, can you please go put on your blankety shoes? Thank you. And my boss says, um, Shanette, you know, the mute button works, right? And I was like, Oh God, Lord have mercy. I would say that was the height of my anxiety right there, that moment. I was thrown into an instant like, oh, Lord have mercy. Um, My whole team just heard me blankety blank at my kids. (laughs) And that was really embarrassing. And so the the funny thing about it though, so I was really embarrassed. I was completely stressed out and thoroughly embarrassed by it. I got several text messages and emails that were like, that was like the best thing ever. I, they people were like so act, like really happy to hear me be a human being like to be normal um, someone emailed me was like that was like the realest thing that I've heard all week it was like the best thing that I've heard because a lot of us were dealing with the same thing but I just happened to be the one that got caught like really kind of barking and like snapping it won it helped people go, yes, I'm not the only one, but two, it actually helped me realize like you're going to have to um, exercise more patience with these children because if you said anything to them that you didn't want your team to hear, then you shouldn't say it to them at all. You know what I'm saying? So it actually kind of put me in a place to where I was going to have to be a lot more understanding 
um, towards them because we were in this together and I didn't want it to be a negative experience of just like our anxieties bouncing off of each other the whole time we were at home. That would be disastrous for the children. It would be disastrous for me as a mother. It would be an epic fail. Um, so I, I think at that, that was the point and the height of my anxiety where I realized that I had to change the paradigm. I had to really rethink how I was going to proceed with homeschooling and balancing out my work and my children's lives um, to be a more balanced, emotionally balanced mother for them to not turn this into like the worst year of their life. <laughs> for a lot of industries, for a lot of professionals, this pandemic has really like the kind of ethos is that people are to become superhuman. Licensed clinical social worker Deja Maynard offers insight about Shanette's situation and the all too familiar challenge of juggling kids and work during the pandemic. You know, if you're you're working from home and that's also where you're parenting and all these other things, your humanness showing up, you know, <laughs> should almost be expected. And instead, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, people are are sort of like been people are in a position to be embarrassed by that and so I feel like that's sort of where my mind initially came up that there's just just this weird um uh kind of like uh juxtaposition about how human the pandemic has kind of made us made us realize that we are or it's kind of forced us to be so to speak juxtaposition to this like you know you gotta do more you should be available you should you know, like all of these kind of like internal narratives about what we should be doing, how we should be handling it. And that ultimately turning into, you know, some pretty unrealistic expectations for people. So that's kind of the first piece. The second piece, though, like specific to that profound insight that, that you know, this person had, like, you know, it read, like sort of her encouraging herself to do a little bit more probing, like probing deeper, like, well, what is it about this that made me embarrassed? And and realizing that it's literally about, I wouldn't want anyone to know that I talk to my kid like that. It seems like it really set up the circumstances for her to consider how her child is there impacted and encourage her to make a change. And I think that that is phenomenal. I'd be like, I, you know, if, if she was sort of my client, I'd be praising her, not only for the grace that she's extending, but also for her willingness to, to sort of like take ownership of what's happening. For many parents, the struggle to incorporate their new normal and meet realistic parenting expectations was a challenge. Therapist Deja Maynard. I think a lot of people might had already kind of had some ideas about how they could improve maybe their work-life balance or, you know, their boundaries around uh, work as to how it, it's impacting their family. I mean, I think the, the pandemic, or at least it's been in my experience, the pandemic really uh, exploded people's concerns around that because there wasn't any, any more like strict demarcation between like when you're at home and when you're at work in the ways that, you know, you had previously been able to, to encourage people to use that as that kind of like signaling, right? Like when you hit the door from coming home from your office, you're in mommy mode and it's okay to leave everything behind. But really, you know, if the kitchen table became your office too, as as well as where your kids, you know, where you have dinner with your kids or wherever, 
those strategies no longer worked. And so I, I would say people really kind of struggled with sort of feeling like they just were not doing a good job because they did not know how. And I would just encourage people like you would not know how. <laughs> so we could work together to create some realistic expectations. Over the course of the pandemic, many people were trying to figure out their new normal. For many, the unknowns were humbling and caused people like Derek to reflect on what's most precious in life. I want to be a man that stands up and works and help provide and, and be there for his family. I want to be in my daughter's life, not just a man that says I want to be in the daughter's life and have to fight for, uh, you know, um, visiting and, and so forth and have custody and blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to separate from my wife neither. Derek has worked the majority of his adult life. When married in 2017, he was the sole provider for his family. However, the past couple of years have been rocky with unstable employment and a range of health problems. And to complicate the situation further, Derek has sickle cell anemia. And due to a torn meniscus, his wife now depends on a walker to get around. Together, they are trying to earn a living, care for each other and their child, but it hasn't been easy. I'm trying to be a man that stands there and holds the hand of his wife and child and being their life and work to continue to be able to try to put food on the table. And at the moment, I'm unable to. So, yes, I am also relying upon the government to help assist me with that as well. I just pray for us to um, be able to survive. I, I, I mean, I, I prayed on everything, just praying and praying and praying, and which, you know, hoping that something would come around. Because it, it just really happened tough. It's rough, man. I might need a therapist, man. I can't front. Asantawa Boykin is a registered ER nurse in Sacramento, California. I don't think that I have, as someone who's been on the front line, has, has been intentional about unpacking the trauma of last year. Um, I would encourage that, that anyone would go about doing that, but there are moments where I'm just like, F one, F I lived. Um, <laughs> two, oh my God, nobody close to me died from this. Like, it, it, it's a waiver between feeling grateful and guilty. Um, and feeling like I, you know, thrown away and also praised at the same time. Like, oh my God, you're a hero. Like, but why wouldn't you wear masks though? So people didn't get sick, right? Um, so yeah, no, I might have to go see a, a therapist for myself specifically, but not today. Asantawa's expressed emotions of survivor's remorse aren't uncommon. Clinical therapist Deja Maynard People are often conditioned to consider how much worse someone else has it. And while I think that there are some admirable kind of like motivations behind that, you know, you're you're hoping to teach people to become more empathetic, you know, become less self-centered. What ultimately is happening, or at least what I often find to be happening, is people are invalidating their own emotional experiences as a result of thinking about how much worse someone else has it. And I, and so as such, I'm like, yes, it, it, 
it might be different for someone else, but that does not mean that you're not feeling any less of what you're feeling. The pandemic has forced us to face harsh realities, and no one has been closer to the heartbreak and pain caused by COVID than our frontline workers, like Amy Arland, the RN from Fresno we heard from earlier. The breakthrough moment for me was um, one of my therapists, I swear I'll, I'll be with him forever, is just teaching me, um, I don't even know, it's, I think the biggest part of it was learning how to get past the fear. Um, you know, fear is the mind killer. It's the one thing that really holds so many people back from doing the things that they need to do in their lives. And I lived in so much fear all of the time that it was what he called radical acceptance. I had to learn to get past the fear and find my courage to keep going. For Making Contact, I'm Anita Johnson reporting from Berkeley, California. been listening to Life During COVID on Making Contact. Thanks to all the participants and experts who contributed to this week's episode. If you suspect that you or someone you know may be struggling with anxiety or depression, contact the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-HELP. If you've enjoyed this episode, please write and review us twice on Apple Podcasts. And then please share it with your friends and family via Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. We're Making Contact Project. To learn more about us and access other episodes for free, visit us at radioproject.org. The Making Contact team includes the Executive Director, Sonia Green, Monica Lopez, Salima Himarani, Sabine Blazin, and I'm Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.
David, David R. Brower. And I add the R because there are a hundred other David Browers in the United States. And that keeps me separate from most of them. I like the direction you're going in, KBOO, Portland. And I wish you had a lot more company. Hey, KBU members. It's time once again to vote and make your voices heard. KBU's 2021 annual membership meeting and board election is coming up. On Sunday, September 26th, from 1 to 3 p.m., live streaming from the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. KBU members are invited to participate in a lively discussion on how to reconnect KBU's diverse communities after 18 months of the pandemic, the role of radio in the 21st century, and the upcoming celebration of our 54th anniversary. KBU depends on its members to help shape its operations and programming. So show your support by casting